So you're saying that my first deploy a Docker container shouldn't even be cold fusion. It should be something even lighter weight and more simple. I'm, I'm saying if you've never used a hammer to drive a nail before, don't pick building a house as your first project. <laughs> I know. I know. That's the thing that <laughs> I keep analogy. I keep going back and forth on. Welcome to Working Code. And now your hosts, none of whom have ever seen a failing unit test, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. Okay, here we go. It is show number 71. And on today's show, we're doing a potluck, which means that we are all coming into this blind. Listeners and hosts <laughs> alike. We don't know what we're talking about. But we're going to figure it out. But as usual, we're going to start with our triumphs and fails. And Ben, it is your turn to go first, buddy. I'm going to go with what I classified as a triumph and what you immediately reclassified as a failure. <laughs> and we'll meet somewhere in between. So as I'm sure we all as I'm sure happens to all of us, our preferences in code and our coding methodology changes over time. And uh, the way that I name my database columns has changed over time. When I first started programming, it was snake case, you know, word underscore. With all lowercase letters. Yeah, yeah, with all lowercase for columns. But in my actual cold fusion code, I evolved to using camel case where there's no underscores and, and words are separated by an uppercase letter. And uh, I sort of got tired of that. And I started wanting to see my database columns look like my code columns because they're always in the same context. Yes. Typical developer focusing on the things that don't matter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so in an effort to just continually try and clean up my code, I went through and I changed 33 database columns and had to touch 71 files that reference those columns. And uh, the triumph is that I did it and I dragged everything forward and I tried to leave things better than I found them. And the uh, failure, if we'll call it that. Yes, yes. <laughs> is that I have zero tests whatsoever. <laughs> and then so far, I have not seen any errors crop up because of this. And this is not an anti-testing rant, only that... But it is. <laughs> not explicitly, though perhaps implicitly. Testing is a tool like like anything else. And if it speeds you up, that's great. But if it's not speeding you up, then it's not adding value. So for me, in this particular very low value application where no Most one can die and no one's paying me to do anything, just yeah. being able to move really fast and replace a lot of stuff and see what yeah, happens. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely not wrong there. Somebody mute Adam, but hurry. <laughs> but the the thing I want to point out here is that you said no errors yet. Yet. Yeah. Right. Yet. And if you had tests, there would be no need for yet. You would know. <laughs> well, there's always a there's always a need for yet. <laughs> we'll get you one of these days. By the one time this podcast days. goes off the air, we will convert you. <laughs> we might have to run for twenty years, but like I look at the at, at huge projects like like the Lucy project, right? So when Zach Spitzer comes in and he starts messing with the code, he'll he'll send me PRs to look at just for fun, and and he'll have he'll add a test and then he adds the code. So like I can really respect that because you have this massive project to smoke test it manually would be yeah. a, an outrageously poor use of time and with unpredictable results. So I totally get that. You know, mm -hmm. sometimes you don't want to do anything to an extreme. So it's, I think to some degree, it's fun to have the pendulum swing hard the other way just to know that it can. So you sound like a risk taker, <laughs> which is <laughs> so opposite. It is. It's not you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so that's me. Adam, what do you got going on this week? So I'm going to call it a fail. Um, and not for the reason that you might be thinking. So my current project. For whatever reason, I think I was just a little bit test fatigued because I've been. I, what? <laughs> I've talked recently about my efforts to really embrace TDD, and and I still believe it is a good thing and worth doing. My my very first project, I was like, I was a hundred percent code coverage, like TDD all the way. I, did, I wasn't perfect at it, but I was aiming for perfection. My second project with it, I relaxed a little bit. I was like, okay, this is helping me write good software. It's not about the perfect score at the end. It's about good software and tests that cover the important things. And then this project, yeah, I mean, I guess test fatigue is kind of the best way to describe it. I was just tired of fighting with the tooling, the 
issues with mocking and that sort of thing. And I was like, I just need a week going back to normal palate cleanser sort of thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And to bin world. <laughs> and now it's been three weeks and I still don't have any tests. And there have been times mm -mm. where I, I finished the thing that I'm working on and it's like, okay, but now what? Right? Like I feel like TDD got me to this place where I, I was able to take the list of requirements and turn those into tests. And it was just like, just keep going until the tests are gone. And then when you inevitably find things that aren't covered by your tests, when you think, oh, I need to add this feature, then you go either add a placeholder test for it or add it to a, a notes file or something. And now without that, I'm feeling the lack of it. So I, I still feel a little test fatigued. I'm not sure I'm quite ready to like jump in and write the test for this. And I'm, I'm going to need tests. This is going to be a mission critical piece of software. I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of all over the place. I'm a little... I find myself at a loss of enthusiasm this week. I have to send Adam Cameron over to berate you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, let me ask you this question, because I know that a huge value add of writing tests, as, as people will explain it, is it forces them to architect their code in a more decoupled, more composition over inheritance type of way that makes it easier to test. Even when you're not writing tests, do you at least find yourself trying to apply those architectural patterns that would have facilitated testing in the first place. So I had, I don't know, 20 plus years of experience writing cold fusion code. And to, to answer the question is yes, is if I was writing CFML, but like over the last five years, maybe a little bit more than that, I've really started to take on a lot of JavaScript, especially node doing Lambda and writing stuff in Docker containers that are going up onto the cloud. And I, I have this bad habit of like, just put everything in one file. Okay, I need a function. Go create a new, another function at the bottom of the file. And it, it's very modular, functional, like a lot of pure functions code. But it's at the end of the day, it's very messy. And I have to, sometimes I don't remember to go back and, and clean it up and think, okay, these seven functions are really kind of grouped together. They're, they're all mm -hmm. surrounding working with S3. And these... 12 functions are about dealing with files and I'll group them by what they do or anything. So I try to go back and run like a cleanup pass. We're like, okay, get the code working, maybe passing tests or whatever. And then with my test passing, refactor, not just change, refactor to something that's better. And honestly, that's the whole thing about TDD that I like is that it, stop, it, it introduces this point where normally I would just write the code that I know in my brain, like code just sort of materializes in my brain as I'm thinking about the thing I mm -hmm. need to get done. And so the easy thing is to just write the code. But doing TDD introduces this point where I go, okay, but I need to do that in a way that's testable. So I might need it to be, it, it makes me think, okay, I'm, but for 90% of the tests, I'm going to want this function, this module to be mockable. So I need to put it over here and, and write it in this specific way so that it makes it more testable. Right. So, yeah. Does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, it sounds like even when you're in the one big file, you're still writing stuff that's decoupled-ish. Yeah. Which it feels like it's all moving towards best practices. So I feel like you're probably still getting a lot of the value of a test-driven mentality even when you don't have the test. So don't, I, don't be too down on yourself. You're not the boss of me. <laughs> also, you know, talking, I've brought this up a couple of times. We've talked about Sandy Metz quite a number of times. And one of the things that she brings up that I'm fascinated by is this code kata where you have no private functions and that a lot of your private functions can be factored out into other types of objects that you would then uh, inject into the object you're dealing with right now, which it sounds a little bit like you're even recognizing in your code, like, oh, I have, I mean, private is not so much a thing in JavaScript, but you can imagine, mm -hmm. oh, I have these bunch of S3 related functions down at the bottom of my file. Those are more or less private to that module, right? Mm -hmm. But you can factor them out and put them into another object and now have an S3 object that then gets injected or required into the current file. And I, I don't know, like, um, that's why I'm so fascinated by this code kata because I can't imagine that it works all the time, but there's so many cases where the more I work with code, the more I realize like, yeah, that shouldn't be in this file. That should actually be somewhere mm -hmm. else because it's it's clearly its own thing and I can reuse it if it's somewhere else. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, I'm just fascinated by it. If, if that's a conference <laughs> presentation, you should send me that link and we should include that in the show notes. I, I, I have a, it, it's in a, she has a, a video of it 
but it's part of like a seminar or something. Like it was a recorded seminar, but it's on YouTube. I'll I'll, I'll get you a link. I would like to watch that. Me too. Okay, let's move on. Tim, what's going on, man? So I got a triumph. So we launched a new product. So we we deal with a lot of financial data. So whenever you send NACHA, which is the National Account Clearing House. Association for Cheese on... No, 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 Nacho, (laughs) Nacho. It says basically how you send money between banks, right? So it's basically an electronic check. They have a um, a requirement that just went into effect a few weeks ago. I think I talked about this before, but it went into effect a few weeks ago where you're supposed to do some sort of check that the account number is legit. Now, unfortunately, they don't really, they don't provide a database you can hit. So they like kind of leave it to your own devices. But so basically we subscribe to a, a, a database that has like billions of records of like good accounts and bad accounts and things like that. And it was kind of nervous for me launching this because as I'll talk later in our potluck, I I don't really understand functional programming. (laughs) And (laughs) all this is written in Scala, which the Go framework, which is all functional programming. And so me and another teammate built this to to launch this and to... And I was like, oh, this is really going to mess up. And we launched it. <laughs> and we launched it. You know, it worked fine in development. Where everything worked great. You know, it was making the calls because it calls the database and looks at the account number of the bank. And if it's a good account number, it, it lets it go through. If it doesn't, it stops it. And then we put it up to production. And it just, at first, it just didn't work at all. Oh, I mean, oh, shoot. Yeah, oh, quack. <laughs> oh, quack. <laughs> So I couldn't figure out why, but then I realized, so because we're in a PCI environment, all of our outbound calls have to be allowed through the firewall. And so uh. we didn't specify. <laughs> so that's why it didn't work. The, that was the only thing. I didn't open the gate yeah. to let that call go to this new destination that we weren't calling before. So open that up. Everything worked great and just turned it on for our customers that are paying for it. And yeah, it's just chugging along, just fantastic. So it's, it's like, I had a lot of trepidation normally on the Scala stuff. I, we use contractors to do that, but yeah, we did it internally this time with me and another programmer and it worked. So yeah. yeah I love that. You're like, I don't understand it. I wrote it, it worked and we're just going to move on. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how this language functions, but that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. I just really, yeah, we'll talk about, I'll talk about it in potluck, but yeah, yeah. I, I definitely need to, grok how functional programming works because there's like nary an if statement i don't get that there's like zero if statements in the whole code so and a positive note for your it infrastructure team your firewall worked yay yeah firewall works yeah firewall yay so that's me how about you carol oh yeah i'm gonna go with the triumph so this has been my first week in leadership and it's been exhausting but it's going really well everyone seems to be super supportive i've gotten lots of feedback lots of people congratulating me lots of oh and one of our engineers on the SaaS team listens to the show and has been for months and really enjoys it and i was like oh that's that's awesome he was like you guys talk about everything in tech that i love hearing about on a podcast He's like, it's nope. really good. I was like, sweet. Awesome. You're my new favorite SAS guy. <laughs> <laughs> He's kissing up. <laughs> so yeah, it's just, it's going really well. And it's been good to have the support of leadership around me telling me like, here's what's going on. Here's your new training path. Here's things we need you to accomplish. Here's your goals. Like they're setting us up to succeed in this position. So it's not just been here, feed you to the wolves, go figure it out. There's a lot of support around me and my team's seems to be super supportive of the new structure because who they were reporting to is now my boss. So this person has had direct contact with the team for like 12 years and has been the manager of the team. And then he took over all of engineering. So we were worried about the transition a little bit just because everyone's so close to him and they seem to be super supportive and I love it. Yay. So did you like go in on day one and just like pick the biggest, meanest person in the schoolyard and be like, you're fired. <laughs> so established dominance did not, but we did find out on the day that our promotions were announced with everything going on that one of our favorite QA, QA guys, our SQA team members was putting in his notice. Mm. So I was like, no, you can't do this. Like as we're starting, <laughs> but was it related to the promotion announcement or no, just no, he, had, no, he had actually put it in his notice before that, but it wasn't being announced until closer gotcha. to his time. But yeah, no, just on, he's been here a long time. Just great. The door will always be open for him to come back. 
So it's the guy you know, Ben. Jeff McDowell. I, a a photo guy. of him uh, uh-huh. of us together just came up on my uh, site the other day. Yeah. <laughs> he is a great guy. Like I said, he it'll all, the door will always be open for him to come back. Just ready to for some change. We get there at points. Yep. So okay, who wants uh, who wants to schedule this dinner now? What are we doing? Some potluck. <laughs> I'm hungry. <laughs> I brought the barbecue ribs. I'm I'm doing the liquid diet for for this week. All right, I guess I'll kick it off. Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. So towards the beginning of the year, and depending on when you're listening to this, that's the year 2022. (laughs) uh, I talked about my big goals for the year, technologically speaking. And what I really want to do is get to a point where I can build a Docker container and have it get deployed somewhere as a Docker container, like as an image that gets pulled down somewhere. Because right now I do that at work, but someone else built it. So I just use a chat bot to trigger it and code ship does stuff that's magic that I don't understand. And in my personal stuff, I still just FTP files to the server. So I need to get even. Yeah, I need to get from one extreme to the other. In an effort to learn about Docker, what I need to do is have a project that I'm learning with. And my problem now is that I'm vacillating, SAT word, between the simple idea that I could probably do but may never actually use and the much more complicated idea that feels like it might be way too complicated, but it's something that I might actually use every day if I were to build it. So on the simple side, I have this website that currently runs on Netlify as a client-side only application. It's for writing poems. I, I don't even know what the server-side component of it would be because I want ultimately I want to be able to build a, a Lucy CFML container because that's what I'd like to do to you know build server-side apps. So I feel like maybe I could add user management. There's no user management today. It's just client-side, and it stores in your local storage. What's your experience level with building uh, Lucy CFML servers outside of Docker? Like, Not- Are you comfortable starting with, like, <laughs> install the Java stuff and hook it up to Tomcat or whatever it is you're going to do? I'll be honest. I'm like, I don't even... I don't even have a good understanding of whether or not I have to have Java installed. I mean, I know everything in Cold Fusion runs on Java, but I'll mm-hmm. go to the installer page and you can get stores with and without Java as <laughs> embedded. And like, Too I don't many even options. Know. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> that. does that mean it can run without Java? Yeah. Or is there a way to run it where Java is somehow magically on the machine or ready and doesn't have yeah, to Yeah, bring your own Java. <laughs> so I, did, like, I don't even understand it at that level. Okay. Ultimately, I would just use some hopefully official Lucy image that at least makes that decision for me. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, at that point, it's just create the create a Docker file that is based on the Lucy image, and then copy your files into it, and boom, you have a, a CFML server. Yeah. Yeah. Magic. So, if you want to do that, that's probably the easiest on ramp. But I was going to say, like, start with some. If you're if you want a small win to to propel yourself, give you that momentum to keep going, start with something that's going to be a little easier to get going. Like, yeah, I don't know what other tools and languages you're familiar with, but for me, that would be like Node or maybe Python. I, I really don't like writing Python code. That's just a personal preference. But I'm comfortable with starting up a Python script and installing the executables and stuff. Mm. So you're saying that my first deploy a Docker container shouldn't even be Cold Fusion. It should be something even lighter weight and more simple. I'm, I'm saying if you've never used a hammer to drive a nail before, don't pick building a house as your first project. <laughs> I know. I know. That's the thing that <laughs> I keep analogy. I keep going back and forth on cuz so the, the opposite end of the spectrum would be I've I've had this love affair with wanting to build a fitness app for the longest time and it's because I do fitness and today I just record all my stuff in the notes app that comes with my Mac or my iPhone I should say. It's a that's a quite a coincidence. I do unfitness. <laughs> <laughs> And take no notes. And it's I have a separate note file for each exercise. And then all I do is I start my new sets at the top and I can look at what I did at the bottom. And I'm just dying to build something that would record that for me and sync it across devices that's not in a notes app. And I think I can make it actually really cool. But then I start to rabbit hole because I'm like, well, if it's going to be on a mobile device, then I'd, I'd love it to potentially operate without a network connection, at least temporarily. But then I'm going to have data drift between what's maybe locally in the phone memory versus on the server. Yep. Two-way sync is a huge problem. So, and I don't want to have to start to get involved with something like 
CouchDB, which is, I think, designed very much for this very specific kind of thing. Like, I really just want to have a relational database with my MySQL, and I'm pretty sure there are no real tools that exist for, for a two relational async, database. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like everything is document-based with the two-way sync. And then I think to myself, well, maybe could I do it like just enough to kind of get stuff done where maybe every time the the phone goes to save data, it will save it locally first and then try to save it also to the server. And if it doesn't save to the server, maybe it keeps like a cache of it locally. And then when it can connect, it just pushes all the unsaved stuff to the server and then pulls down all of the data that it should own as the user. Because I don't want to have to worry about data reconciliation. I'm very happy with a last writer wins kind of a scenario for this kind of thing. So I almost wonder if I could somehow keep it simple where it's just, I sync up and then I sync down. And the sync is very loosely, it's basically like I sync up and then I pull everything down, potentially overriding everything that I have locally. But if I did just a sync up, then it shouldn't matter. And because it's a fitness app, it's just, it's not like it's going to be gigs of data. It's maybe in the tens of megabytes of data, even if I had to pull everything down. I don't know. So I'm, but now it's like, now I'm so focused on something that has nothing to do with Docker at all. Right? Like (laughs) none of that is necessarily Mm -hmm. just how do I build a container and deploy it to production? You should look at JFit, by the way. You should go check out that app because it's really cool with how it records everything and how it logs it. So if you're wanting something to think about when you're designing, this is a really, when you're designing it, if you go this route, this is a really cool app. I've heard of, uh, I, I know a lot of people have recommended My Fitness Pal, I think is yeah. a very popular mm-hmm. that one. That one's a good one too. But yep. I So I like JFit because it does reps for me and it'll do countdowns. So like when I'm planking, it'll be like, oh, hold your plank for 60 seconds. And it does the countdown and it's like flip over, do side planks and it does my whole clock for me. And it like tells me, okay, take a 30 second break. Now start the next one. I like JFit because I never actually use it and just you know, do whatever <laughs> yeah. I want. Yeah, <laughs> do whatever. I don't exercise. I just starve myself. It, and it's also like fifty bucks a year to buy it through Apple. So that's pretty expensive. Although I guess mm. now, if you think uh, about how much it costs each month, yeah, or each day, it's even cheaper that way. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you, it, I guess it depends on what it is replacing, right? So if it replaces the need to have like a personal trainer that you're meeting with yeah, every yeah, month, yeah, 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 fifty dollars yeah. a year is well worth it, but. Oh yeah, I, I guess I guess can... if it's a subscription thing. Oh yeah, there's tons of plans. I'm so used to thinking about like one-time purchases in the app store. Yeah, no, everything's subscription based now. Everything's a, like a service. Oh yeah, it's like monthly, yearly. I have so few apps. Yeah. I have like I have one screen, my home screen of apps, which is my high priority apps. Those are the things I use mostly every day. And then I have a second screen, which is mostly just a couple of folders of group things, and that's it. And I can't stand have more than two screens. I watch my wife sometimes. She'll try to get to her settings page. And first of all, it drives me crazy that she just doesn't like swipe down from the top right to get to some of her settings. Oh. Yeah, like Kara. And I'm showing her all her screens. She's swiping, 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 swiping. I'm like, what do you what do you have on your phone? It's crazy. Sometimes I can't find things, so I just swipe down to search. I'm like yeah, yeah, Gmail. Yeah. I don't know where the app is now. It's moved. I give up. It's so, yeah. not on your home screen. I just, I just use the search feature to find one. And you don't reply to email anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you just need to be able to read it. Oh, all right, See, all right. I, I, I think creating a fitness app would be really cool for you. And I think it would be good to learn with, but it's not going to get you to your Docker point sooner, right? It's going to get you to designing software and you're not going to be thinking about the end release or how you're going to be using Docker for it. You're going to be thinking about your code up front, right? But my concern is, if it's not something I'm going to be more excited about, am I ever going to do it, right? If it's just a simple, how do I build a Docker container? Because I could theoretically start off the fitness app by doing just the hello world, I built a container, and it says, welcome to my container, kind of a thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Got to put a muscle there with it or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fortunately, there's an emoji right there ready for you. So... If the goal is to learn how to build Docker containers and maybe like deploy them or something, I mean, let me start with this. Whatever you can use to motivate yourself to follow through is what is the best choice, right? Agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But in terms of not getting lost in the weeds of like, okay, I want to, I want to learn a thing, so I'm going to go spend three months building something complete that I could do completely without Docker, so that I can throw it in a Docker container. 
if the goal is to just get your feet wet and get it done and over with so that you can be like, okay, now like I understand what I don't know about this and I can go and learn the rest. Take an app that you already have and put it in a container and deploy it on Google Cloud or Amazon or whatever. Mm-hmm. Worst case scenario, you spend like 30 bucks for a month to throw it up there and you go, okay, now I know that and you can just turn it off and delete it and now you know. Yeah, that's like, true. Take your blog. Did I say that already? I don't think you did. I don't think so. Yeah, so take your blog engine and just put it up in a container and deploy it. And I don't know, for some reason, <laughs> it just like doesn't excite me. I don't know why. Exactly, which is, yeah. <laughs> Again, which which is what Adam said. You're going to have to find something that excites you and do it with it because otherwise you're never going to do it. Yeah. And now I'm just so worried that I'm hand-wringing over it so much that I'm not going to start at all. Yep. And that's my That's like <laughs> yep. my big concern. Done is better than perfect. Yeah, 100%. Anyway, so that's what's been weighing on my mind a lot lately. Mostly also, I've been feeling so out of touch with the Angular community, or I should say I've been feeling mostly out of touch with the front-end community, uh, that that I feel like I need to do something that flexes some of the front-end technology again. Especially, nothing against React, but React 18 just came out. And like, I don't know, most of the podcasts that I listen to, they're very pro-React which again, nothing against React, but I'm just sure. I'm an Angular fanboy. And nothing against breathing. I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was what? it? Tim said some of my best friends are React developers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my god, I remember that. That was hilarious. <laughs> All right, I don't, I've got nowhere else to go with this. That's that's my that's the you want to move stuff on? I just had to get off okay. my chest. We can move on. Well, I'm, I'm glad you got it off your chest. Thank you. Yeah. So. I mentioned I've just kind of been not feeling it this week in my fail for the for this week's podcast. And I guess my topic would be like, what do you do when you're in a funk, right? On paper, the project that I'm working on, I should be really enthusiastic about. It checks a lot of boxes for me. But at the same time, I'm just finding myself incredibly distractible and at times incredibly distracted. And I just, I can't force myself to pull myself out of this funk. So you guys can see me right now. I'm sitting on a stool. And I I switched from my chair to a stool in hopes that it would help my posture, help my back pain. And there's a a whole thing there, but it's, it's effort, right? It takes additional mental and physical effort to, to focus on sitting on the stool properly. And there have been times, maybe half of this week, I have not been sitting at my desk. I've just taken my laptop and I've gone down to the couch in the living room or there's a, a sofa in my office here. I'll go sit on that. And I, is that normal for you? No. 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 When I had the chair, I was fairly content yeah, yeah, to be sitting. Yeah. Now, like mm-hmm. when the weather's real nice, I'll go sit out on the deck or something like sure. that. But, you know, all other things being equal, I'm perfectly content to sit at my desk all day. But I noticed that like, I would get into this point where it's like, I can't even think, right? I'm just, I'm consumed to the point where I have to give up something in order to be able to get something done. And so I'll go and I'll sit somewhere else and let my back relax to free up that mental bandwidth to be able to get something done. And I don't think that's causing the funk, but I just feel like, I don't know. I don't know what to do anymore. So one thing that I've noticed is when I do make a big change, I can't change multiple things at once. I only need one change going on and it can't overlap because I can't commit to that many, like, like I can't start eating healthy and going to the gym and cut out alcohol all in the same week. Not going to happen. Only one of them's going to happen. So I'm mm-hmm. like, all right, I'm eating healthy right now, but if I don't go to the gym, I'm not going to beat myself up. If I have a drink, I'm not going to be mad. Like it's fine. I'll get to where I'm eating better, working out and then cut out drinking completely because it just makes you fat. And I've got to quit <laughs> drinking because I don't want to be fat. It's a whole thing. Is Anyways, that what's happening? <laughs> that's what's happening here. <laughs> So I feel like if you are trying to launch this new project, or even if you're having to spend time working on this new for it, and you're probably spending time like in analysis and research, and you're also trying to adjust how you're functioning in your day, it may be too much for you all at once. So it's going to sound silly, but consider using your chair half the day so that your body gets a break and you're not taking on so much change all at once and you're able to focus in on the other thing rather than the, I need to move. I need to adjust. Yeah. I'm fidgety in this chair because I can be fidgety. And that's my problem. If I can move, I do move. If I kind of lock myself in, then I stop fidgeting and I'm able to kind of focus in better. Yeah. I mean, I see your point and I agree, but at the same time, like my job is to work on something new every day 
or, you know, every week or whatever. So, you know what I mean? So, am, am I communicating that well? I just a point of clarity. The project that you're working on, is it a personal project or it's for work? No, this is for work. So, okay. yeah. It, it, and it's, there was this big initiative that I started trying to be the squeaky wheel about, I don't know, five years ago. And finally, about a year ago, we started making, it was probably more than five years ago, but finally, about a year ago, we started to like, okay, we're going to, we're doing it. You have the time, start working on this and that. And before that, it was just like, yeah, we agree. We need to do that, but not yet. And, and now, then it was now. And pretty much everything that I've worked on is the day, the fire that comes up, something's got to be dealt with. All of my project work has been toward that initiative ever since we started that about a year ago. And maybe it's fatigue on that yeah. whole thing too. But, and, and it's all little things, right? It's like one of the, the goals of this initiative is to take our monolith and move it. So right now it's, it's pets, not cattle, right? Mm-hmm. It's a, we've got named EC2 servers and, and they are manually click ops dealt with. And we're moving in the distant future. It will be you merge a commit and that create that causes a build to happen, which causes a deploy to happen, which might cause scaling and blue green deployments and who knows what. But we're early on in that path. And so a lot of the, the mini projects I've been biting off are things that like hurdles we have to clear be- so that we can get further down that path. Right. Yeah. And. So like I was saying, it checks all the boxes for me. These are, I'm, I'm using technologies that I like. I'm working on a project that I really, truly believe in. Sounds like you're getting to learn lots. I am, yeah. right. So this is the first project I've ever gotten to use message queuing on. So we're using yeah. SQS and it's like at the risk of overcomplicating, it's actually fairly complex and, and it's going to take something that's currently a bottleneck for us and like re-architect it in a way that's potentially hugely scalable. As we continue to sign on more customers, this was going to be a big problem for us. So it's taking a problem and turning it into an opportunity. So like I said, it it checks all the boxes. This should be something I'm excited to work on. And yet... (laughs) Still distracted. Uh, Yeah. I I think maybe when you introduced it, I was a little bit confused. Or maybe I had just had a preconceived notion. This is not a project that you are just starting. You're saying you've been already working on this for like a year? Uh, Well... Yeah, I don't I don't know Jira to use the Jira terms, but I'm starting to think that it's like a epic versus project versus ticket sort of thing. So what would you call this? Uh, I mean, this particular project, I would say is probably like like in those three epic yeah. project ticket, I would say it's like the project level, right? So the, okay. if the epic is modernize our infrastructure, then the this particular That's project is epic. yeah yeah that's huge. <laughs> oh, just modernize your infrastructure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Five points, please. I, I don't know uh, Jira. We don't use that. But what's the T-shirt size on that? <laughs> yeah, it goes epic story ticket. So okay. your epic is like oh, okay. the big over it holds it all. And then you have your stories that break it out, and then each story can have the tickets that then are assigned to it. Like these are so the actual work items for it. Story is like as a user, I expect that yeah. when I do that. Okay, yeah, yeah. So this is definitely epic or above. I don't yeah. know what would be above an big. epic, but. Yeah, yeah. I don't think there is. There's a, well, there's the board. There's your board itself, which... That's the I whole think, project. That's the whole project, yeah. Well, but yeah, but I, th- I feel like modernizing a platform could be a, Yeah, I agree. That could totally I mean, be a project. We're really going into the weeds on Jira here. Sorry. I'm so sorry, guys. Not okay. important. I was going to say, so you're just starting this new part of this big over, overall yeah. like. So this, this is... Uh, what this is, it's the smallest possible change that I can make that is a thing that can be deployed and improve the product by itself. But that's a big thing, right? So this whole project is we have a bunch of customers and every night all of our customers basically give us a copy of their entire database of all Mm -hmm. their constituents. This is schools that we're talking about. So all their alumni and everything. And they, they basically generate a bunch of CSV files and they put them on S3 for us. And then they call our API early in the morning to say, okay, the files are there. You can go consume them and pull them in. And we have a, we pull in a copy of their data so that we can do the segmentation and all that stuff. Doing that through the old app server, like in process in the monolith was problematic. And there were issues where, so we have right now, we just have two database clusters. And so if all of the customers on one of those clusters decided to sync their files all at the same time, then the app servers for those different customers are totally unaware of each other. So if they all tried to run big import jobs at the same time, it would probably crash the database sort of thing. Oh, man. So that's why like 
queuing is one of the big factors of this, right? So all the jobs yeah. now get queued and they get processed in serial. Yeah, in order, yep. Yeah, and, and async, right? You Instead of run the file and then you wait 30 minutes and you get a response that says, okay, the file was imported. Now it's going to be run the file and you get a response back within... 30 milliseconds that says, okay, we'll do that and we'll let you know. And so sexy. Yeah. And I mean, this whole thing. So it it used to be they make the request and then we go, okay, thanks. And we'll go, we go download the file to the app server from S3. And then we run validations against that file to CSV. And we know, okay, these are, this is what the columns are supposed to be. So let's look at the first line of this two gig file. And (laughs) and are the, is it the right columns, the right number of columns in the right order? All of that and, and a whole bunch of validations. Some of them even read like every line and validate certain yep. things about every line in the file. Been and there. then if it passes all the validations, then we have to import that into the database, which is a whole thing. And then sometimes for one or two of the jobs, there's like, okay, well, now a table exists. We need to like all these tables that we generate based on their table, we have to regenerate all of our tables. And so this it just spirals out of control really fast. Yeah. And... So it's just a, it's a really complicated thing. And so it's not one of those things where like, I can just change some tiny little portion of it no. and deploy that. Yeah. You know, you're, you're changing the modality of the way this entire piece of the system works. So right. it's like, I'm trying to do the minimum thing that's not going to disrupt anybody. And that's a smart way to do it. Yeah. It's a great approach. So, but it's at the same time, it's been two weeks and I'm looking at least another week of work to, to get it all done and just suck it up. Yeah. <laughs> so wait, I, can I piggyback on you? Because I think ours play together. Like I think they kind of go well and let's see if they do actually. Okay, sure. So I am on this project that's basically changing how our systems communicate and how our users communicate. And I am 100% in like analysis paralysis right now. I am so done researching things. I'm tired of looking at new stuff. I just want to make a decision and write some code and let's move on. And instead, like I've written ACs, I've written stories, I've written a tech doc, I've went back to the tear sheet, updated the tear sheet. Today, I helped the project manager update slides so she can now present this project to leadership to like our executive board to go over what we're wanting to do. And I'm just really done researching. I want to write code. And all I keep thinking is I really want Ben's backlog. Like right (laughs) now I would be so happy if I had Ben's backlog sitting there because I could pick up something tiny that's just a random go fix it. And yeah, a little win and feel good about myself. Instead I'm going, I'm so tired of reading new things and trying to figure out other approaches for this. Can we just make a decision? Like I've made a suggestion. Let's just put it out there and see what happens. And most of tech agrees. Like, okay, we're to a point where we should start coding. We know you guys aren't going to have all your meetings till the 18th, but we're going to go ahead and start coding because, well, we're done. And I can't pick up any more stories because I really don't have a week to work on something. I need to have some code in when we start. So I'm just over the analysis side of stuff to the point where today I didn't really get a lot done between meetings and just not wanting to research anything else. I just did not want to research anymore. I love it, but today I was done with it. And I don't know if that's where you're at, that you just need some small wins, but that's how I felt today. I realized I really needed something like Ben's backlog. And if you guys haven't heard Ben talk about it, Ben has a pretty pretty big backlog of just Deep. small things that you can pick up and work and get your wins out, right? And I right. don't have that. And I feel like I just need some wins to keep myself motivated. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that you're right. There is a lot of overlap here between our two topics. Sometimes it, when you were talking, it made me think like, I wonder if like as a sort of a next career, when I get too old and, and have to be put out to pasture and I, I can't keep up with the kids and promote to pasture, anymore, right? Promoted to I, pasture. I, I wonder if instead of management, if I should do like technical writing, because I can type like, oh, yeah, and, and, you know, <laughs> I love if there's one thing that I like more than the sound of my own voice, it is an email that I wrote that took me four hours to write, right? Like I'm the type of guy that listens to my own podcast. I'm also the type of guy that reads the email that I haven't sent yet four times just to, mm-hmm. to make sure it sounds right and it's all good and clear. And they're redacted by 25%. As a subscriber to your newsletter, I can confirm you do write a lot. <laughs> <laughs> just not often enough, enough, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Is there Anyways. a way that you can take the process that you have today and just like break the steps down so that you're still doing to deploy <laughs> so that it's still doing the exact same thing but it's 
put it somehow in, in like little more reusable chunks that can somehow then in the future be the kind of tied into message queuing, like something that doesn't fundamentally change the thing, but breaks it up a little bit. Yeah. I mean, so I guess one thing that I didn't mention in the current state of things is that some of our customers have so much data and it, it requires so much processing power and so much time to get through it all that not just for this particular job, but because of this and all of the other scheduled jobs that have to go on for them, we have dedicated job processing boxes for certain customers, right? So if you're Bob's University with a alumni, a total lifetime alumni count of 100,000, then it doesn't matter. But for some of our bigger customers that have like half a million alumni, then, you know, we have a server that is, for all intents and purposes, a production server, but no public processes ever hit it, right? It's only ever doing background right. jobs processing for this type of stuff. We could, I, I guess, maybe the thought is we already did that, right? That that jobs yeah, yeah, box yeah. is kind of that thought, yeah. It's so interesting. So are they, are it, I assume that the dump of data that you're getting is, a, is sort of a subset of what they have on their end? Yes. So they don't just like, okay, here's our whole database and right, right. export to CSV. They select, because I guess there's laws about they can't give us active student data and hmm. they try to limit it to only the things that are going to be useful and interesting to them within our system, right? So if there's a particular audience, let's just say if they've decided as a company or as a, a school that they're never going to try to contact anybody over the age of 80, then they would mm -hmm. exclude all people over the age of 80 from the data that they send gotcha. us. So they get to Rude. do some curating on their end before they send <laughs> Sorry, it Sorry, Ben or uh, Tim. You're uh, rude. <laughs> didn't mean to be ageist towards you, octogenarians. Come on, Tim, um, you still got a couple years left. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. SAT word, yeah. So, and, and I assume you're, so you have to basically reconcile, so they give you the data. What happens if, for example, you have an alumni record in your end that doesn't show up in one of these data dumps? Do you have to then remove it from your database? Well, Yes and no. What they're giving us is the source of truth. Uh -huh. So when we, when they, when something gets updated in our system, we send that to them, uh, and we have, we keep like transactional records, and we they can pull those at any time, unrelated to data sync. But yeah, I mean, if a record gets deleted from their warehouse, then the next day it should be gone from ours. Gotcha, gotcha. You may have said this, but how often do data syncs happen? Every morning. Like six o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And actually the way that we accomplish that, and maybe that'll make it a little bit clearer is, so when we do this import, we basically, if the table name is warehouse, we do like create a table named warehouse underscore new and import yep. all the data and do all the checks and make sure everything's happy, hunky dory. And then when we're ready to make the switch, we have a transaction that's like, okay, begin transaction, drop table warehouse, table. rename table warehouse, mm -hmm. new to warehouse and transaction. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So as far as what would go in the message queue, what would you be breaking the the data files up into individual rows and then each row becomes a message or or you're nope. like a, a university would become a message. So the message is like for the production environment for Bob's university, they they're ready to run this particular sync, right? The main warehouse file versus maybe the degrees warehouse file or the, gotcha, the gotcha. sport data or whatever. So it'll be like Bob's University production warehouse, and here's the file name that they said is on S3 for us, and then we add a GUID just to make it unique. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Data data is a tough problem. Yeah. This so it's funny because like we're trying to solve scaling challenges, which again, checks another box for me, right? This is interesting work. It's not just yeah, write yeah, another yeah. web form, but it's a company of five total people, three full-time developers, and we're solving these really difficult challenges. And there's like, not a day goes by that it's, that there's not five new things that are like, okay, you need to have this on your radar because it's going to be a thing that we're going to have to deal with eventually. Like this morning, it was our design is not fresh enough and we're going to end up having to like hire a designer to, because people, we're getting to the point now where people are starting to care more about how it looks and how it makes them feel right? and how good it does its job. Oh, it frustrates me so much. I mean, yeah. in, a, in a good way, like I wish yeah. I had better design abilities because I know how important it is. Yeah. Yeah, and it's tough because like you design something and it's totally functional and it's good enough and then five years goes by and it's like, well, but it's not bad. It's just a little teeny tiny bit dated. Do you guys know what Figma is? 
sure. part of it. Okay, so we use that at work. We use Figma mm-hmm. to create what the screen should look like and stuff. And as part of like this project that we're working on, there is a design team. That's, like wireframe stuff? Yeah, yeah. There's a design team that's sending over. They were on the call today, showed us the screenshots of everything they wanted to do. And I was like, oh, this looks great. Good job. So then we get to the end of it and we're talking about when we might actually be able to start writing code. And I was like, wait, I'm a little confused. So are we coding these interfaces? And they're like, yeah, we just give you the screenshots. You make it happen. I was like, no, you're getting boxes. I'm not doing that. <laughs> I hate doing front-end design. That's my thing is like, I, I I used to be exactly like that, right? Like I, I can do squares and rectangles. Sure. Borders sometimes you can get Sometimes you can get a border if you're lucky. Yeah, border <laughs> radius even, yeah. But like over the years, mostly I've been, out of necessity, I have gotten halfway decent at CSS. I can work my way through a grid and and Flexbox and this and that. And it's a little bit of a point of pride for me, but at the same time, like starting from scratch and making quote unquote, a good design. That is not something. Nope. Yeah. Can't do it. I literally searched when this demo was starting to go through it. I was like on Google, I'm like, Accordion expand inside accordion expand. And then with the Stack Overflow, copied and pasted it in. I was like, I'm not going to figure out how to get this to expand inside another one. I was like, whatever. It'll do its thing. And it worked. I just send it to the artsy fartsy people and they do it for me. Well, our artsy fartsy people sent it back and said, we're coding it now that they designed it. And I was like, wait a minute. Where did this happen? No. The real challenge when we get around to that design task is going to be... We need a, a fresh design that's not going to be a nightmare to put on top of our existing functionality, <laughs> right? Yeah, totally. Maintain yeah. the same functionality, just clean it up. Right. Don't be, go crazy. Yeah. Like you want to move stuff around on the screen? That's fine. You want to like change what's on what screen? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think so. that's mine and Adam's. We're wrapped up. So it just leaves Tim. Oh, yeah. Okay. Ours went together, so we just did it. Okay, cool. Yeah. So... I feel like the person at the potluck who brings the plastic cups and paper <laughs> plates. I don't really have a whole lot here. So mine is, I just don't understand functional programming. Yeah. I, I feel I, you just, make that just, too. It breaks my mind. So like, there's no if statements. I mean, you can do, but there's I mean, typically you don't do any. It's matching and mapping and yeah, it just it, the parallelism on it. I just don't get it. So I really need to find a simple way to understand functional programming because I just don't get it. I don't. If you guys had any experience with it, I've never used a, a true functional language, and I'm probably going to get this wrong. So I'm throwing myself under the bus here. I beat you <laughs> to it, but like I think closure yeah, might be is. one. Okay, yep. and so I've never used any of those languages, but I have tried as much as possible to embrace the functional style in JavaScript. And I love it. Yeah. I mean, everything I've ever done, I, so, I mean, I started like at 12 years of age working on basic, right? So it's all if functions and go to things. It's all procedural. Year and, of our Lord, 1900. And exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Way back when. And so it's like just wrapping my mind around it. And, and I just realized that when we're dealing with this deploy, it's like I'm looking, reviewing this code and looking at it. I'm like, I don't know if this is going to work, but I'm going to post it anyway. It doesn't, doesn't matter. So I got to get better at that. That's pretty much. I mean, what's your, what's your motivation? I mean, pretty much it runs our business, right? So, so you got to learn it. Yeah, I got to learn it. So yeah, I got to learn it. It's in Scala and the Go uh, framework. But yeah, I just got to wrap my head around it. So a couple of our developers, they've kind of wrapped their heads around it. I don't think they're completely proficient on it as well, because it's like the idea of a whole not having any if statements just blows my mind. I don't know how I got to wrap my my head around that. So any of our listeners who like are proficient on that, just hit me up. There's got to be like a good book or something. I'm sure there is. Functional programming for imperative programmers. Yeah, exactly. And it's like everything's like immutable. So like all the everything's immutable and parallelism. So yeah. So it's immutable and I, immutable. immutable. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. With an yeah. I am on the beginning. You you flip yeah, you flipped it. Yeah. Yep, sorry. You mumbled. We're immutable. It. I mumbled. You're immutable. Mm-hmm. Which I remember the first time I heard about immutable data, 
it just, it was like a brick sitting in my mind. I'm like, does not compute. How applications are about changing data. How do you have immutable data? Because mute is like mutate, change. How do you you change data that's unchangeable? So uh, for anybody out there that is going through that exact same brain fog that I was, basically it's you don't change the bucket of memory that contains the value of the variable. You create a new bucket and where possible, you can have pointers back to the old bucket so that it Mm -hmm. uses less memory. But whatever changes is only changed in the new copy. Yeah. But, but what amazed me, though, with Scala is like everything has run so fast. It's so incredibly quick. And there's, it's, nothing is blocking, right? So everything's like running on different threads and parallelism. It just, it's just amazingly fast. So, I mean, I get the benefit of it, but it's like I totally don't understand it. And this whole deploy that we did recently, it's like I was so worried that it was going to crash because I didn't understand what was going up. <laughs> I reviewed it. <laughs> it's like, mm, looks good to me. Uh, but I didn't know what I was looking at, so I got to get better. But on the other side, I do love when it comes to cold fusion, I do love using jars. Heck yeah. I mean, taking a jar in and like importing that in and to do stuff. So like we had an issue where I used to take some XML that we were receiving and convert to JSON. There were some ways to do that in, in code, but actually the best way to do it the fastest way to do it was with the jar. Is I just love like getting a jar, porting it in, looking at all the functions, figuring out what they do, and then just using it. So much more elegant than, of course, I, I don't know how to write Java. So yeah, can I go back to my thing briefly? Sure. You, you were talking about stuff being fast, and it reminded me. So I was talking about sometimes we have to validate these files, and they're huge files, and it's a problem in the current app server because it doesn't have the ability to like. I guess it does have the ability to like read a file by line, but it, it's not a fast process. So in the new one, I'm using node streams and like streaming the file in and it just like reads mm-hmm. a chunk out of memory. And then it even, I've even got it set up to use a, a module called split, which like, so you're streaming it in and then split will just emit an event every time that there's a new line so that you get one line of data. So every event, it, it broadcasts a, a, a data event every time there, there's a That's line. Cool. And so you can just process a line at a time. And then... I've got the validation stuff set up so that after you hit 30 errors, it just stops the stream. It's like, okay, that's enough. We don't need to pile on anymore. This file <laughs> is bad enough. Like, here's here's 30 errors. Try again. And it's like fast. And I'm loving it. So one of our folks on Discord, so I had an issue like parsing a CSV file. And so they recommended Univocity, which was a, a, a jar. And that just works fantastic. So I'm like... Someone sends me a, a CSV file, I'm importing that, and I need to do some actions on it. And parsing that based on CSV files can be kind of picky to yeah, yeah. kind of parse. It works fantastic. So, yeah. In business, like, I've, my experience is that businesses run on, like, Excel files, basically. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then when they want to send you, especially when they want to send something to be processed by a computer, not necessarily by a human, they'll export it or save it as CSV. Mm-hmm. So... Basically, what I'm saying is business runs on CSV. Yep. But at the same time, apparently, nobody is capable of creating a CSV with properly escaped like delimiters. <laughs> and like, yep. so if you want to wrap your string value in quotes, but then you want to have a quote in the middle of it, nobody's yep. capable. Yeah. It drives me nuts. <laughs> Breaks it and, all. And, and Univocity just handles that. So that's great. So that's fantastic. So yeah, that's my offering on the potluck. It's, it's not great. Well, I, I mean, just to go back to the functional programming stuff, I get very frustrated because there are definitely elements of functional programming that I think I do like a lot, like in JavaScript and in ColdFusion. Mm-hmm. I'm mapping and I'm filtering and I'm using iterators and to atoms. Functions. Like I use a pure-ish functions. A lot of my functions are just acting on data because at least in the way that I architect my ColdFusion applications, they use components, but it's not really object-oriented architecture in that it's not stateful components that have data and expose methods. It's mostly a bunch of components that are cached in memory forever and they have business logic and then you pass them data and they do stuff with that data (laughs) or they go to the database to get the data and they do stuff with that data and then they return it. So it's very functional in that sense and I really like some of that stuff because it keeps it very simple. 
Where I get really confused with all the functional programming stuff is the way that you almost have to think about the programming backwards. When you're dealing with imperative programming, it's very easy to read top down. I get this data and then I call this method and it does some stuff and then I call this method and it does some stuff. And, and it's very top down processing. With the functional stuff, so much of it feels like I'm calling this thing that's taking a function that was created from another function that was created from another function that was then mm. created from another function. And then you finally get to the bottom of that stack and you figure out what that really inner function is. And then like mentally you have to then unwind and go back up the stack mm-hmm. to figure out, oh, that was passing this and this was passing this. And then finally I get back to that top function. I'm like, oh, okay, now I know what I'm dealing with. And it seems like just really mentally exhausting to try and mm. think in that in those terms. And that's the thing I don't, I don't connect with at all. Yeah, it, it's totally a different mindset from OOP, right? It's, it just, it's just completely different. And I feel like I've been doing this so long, I don't know how easy I could switch. Yeah. Like, I don't think I could just change how I think about writing code and how I think about an application working and how I think about the process being. So it would be very hard for me to just switch over to a functional language. Yeah. We just need to tap into Sean Corfield's brain. He'll figure it out for us. <laughs> you know, and then someone eventually decides to s- throw monads into the conversation. I have no idea what a monad is. And then someone compares it to a burrito, and, and I tuples. don't understand that at all. Yeah. And then someone's like, oh, do you use promises in JavaScript? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, well, it's basically promises, but not really. And I'm like, well, that didn't help <laughs> clarify at all. <laughs> I don't know. I always come back to the thing, if it's solving a problem, that I have, then I'm excited. If it doesn't appear to be solving a problem that I have, then it feels like it's friction. That said, there's something to be said for learning things just to for the pure joy of expanding sure, sure. your horizons. Sure. Yeah. But also, I feel like someone mentioned this earlier in the episode, the idea of essential complexity. Maybe this wasn't this episode. Those two there's words were not ordered uh, order together <laughs> earlier this episode. So there's yeah. the idea of essential complexity and accidental or incidental complexity. The essential complexity is something is complex because it just has to be complex. There's no way to get around it. And then there's accidental complexity is I just chose to make it this complicated because that's how I put it together. And I think it's fun to learn things, absolutely. But sometimes people, and I'm absolutely guilty of this myself, you get so excited about something that you build in a lot of accidental complexity Mm -hmm. that didn't need to be there because it was exciting. And and I, I'm obviously I'm not a functional programmer, but except just saying. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's the perfect place to end it. I'm calling it. This episode of Working Code is brought to you by spending eight months writing an app so that you can learn how to make it run in Docker. And <laughs> listeners like you, if you're enjoying this show, you should consider supporting us on Patreon. It's the best way to help keep the show running. Patreon donations cover the cost of editing and recording, and we couldn't do this every week without those things. So we appreciate all the support that we can get. Special thanks, of course, go out to our top patron, Monty. If you'd like to help us out, you can go to patreon.com slash workingcodepod. All patrons get early access to an ad-free version of new episodes and our after show, which is going to be a fun one this week. So do you have a question or a topic you'd like to hear us discuss? There's a lot of ways to get it to us, like sending it to at workingcode on... I'm sorry. Nope, I got that wrong. Like sending it to (laughs) at workingcodepod on Twitter or Instagram, joining our Discord or uh, at workingcode.dev slash discord emailing us at workingcodepod at gmail.com or you can even record a voice memo on your phone and email that to us so that we can play it on the show. We'd love to have that. That's going to do it for us this week. We'll catch you next week. And until then, remember, your heart matters even if you can't grok functional programming like me. You've been listening to Working Code with your hosts, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. We'll catch you on the next episode of Working Code. I'll I'll point out that Carol is last on the triumphs and fails, and I'm last on the potluck, but it doesn't matter. Somebody didn't organize this very well. chickens. (laughs) (laughs) Who handles your bullet points? These are problems that are so difficult to solve. (laughs) Off by one error. <laughs> uh, I'll have to call in a consultant to reorganize our bullet yep, points. Yep. A Salesforce consultant, seven thousand dollars bill. And you you can't spell programming, so what do you want me to do? Like, yeah, I, I would ask. Line. Is it two? Is it two M's? Yeah, it is two. Yes. M's. Okay. Pro gaming. Sorry, can you guys hear that foghorn? Just just barely. Just barely. Oh. No, there's just like some. I thought you farted.
big thing. <laughs> something going by in the distance. Yeah, it's just like re-architecting that all to not be a problem, right? It'll just use whatever bandwidth it has to... Sorry, it sounded, it sounded it like, sounded like Tim was urinating. It sounded like he was peeing. <laughs> he turned his camera off, but he yeah, didn't but he's mute not anything. Muted. Sorry. Hello, Tim. Did you pee? No, I poured water. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we thought it was funny you turned your camera off, and then we heard peeing. Oh, water pouring. It, I'm it was sorry. mineral water. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to hear me pee, I can do that, too. No, we're good. Thank you. We're good. Okay, all right.